I was going to say good morning, but I'll say good afternoon and happy Sabbath to each of you. It is truly my pleasure to be with you this, this afternoon, and I want to thank Andy for the invitation and your pastor for allowing me to be with you today. And I want to say what a pleasure it is to be amongst some familiar faces and also with family. Um, my boys and my mother were able to join me um, this afternoon, so I'm very thankful for that. I also want to thank Sister Kiki, Kika for the wonderful testimony that she gave. It was so uplifting and, and so meaningful, and it's very hard to follow that because um, I feel like she already gave a, a full sermon in, in what she shared this, this morning. Um, I also want to thank... Heather, for the beautiful music, Amazing Grace. What a, a beautiful song to think about God's amazing grace to each one of us. I want to um, go through our scripture again this morning, this afternoon, I'm sorry. So we'll just read it one more time. And again, it's found in John 8, verses 31 through 36. And it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable to you this morning, Lord, this afternoon, Lord. That is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled my sermon... To be truly free. And as much as I love the song Amazing Grace, there's another song that I also love, and we tend to sing it um, during Black History Month. This song is called Lift Every Voice and Sing. The first line of the song sums up the call to lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmony of liberty. Now, I love the words of this song that we pursue liberty, and some would also say that we pursue freedom. But what does it mean to have liberty? What does it mean to be free? According to some definitions, it means not being subject to the control or dominion of another, not being coerced or constrained in the choices or the actions that we choose to take. Long ago in heaven, an angel made the claim that freedom and liberty were not compatible with serving God. And today, too many of us have believed the lie of Satan, that choosing to live for God means that we are giving up our freedom, and that God is a God who forces our love for him. But Ellen White states in Patriarchs and Prophets, so I'm just going to raise my hand when it's time to go to the next slide. <laughs> okay. She states that God desires from all his creatures the service of love. Service that springs from an appreciation of his character. He takes no pleasure in a forced obedience. And to all he grants freedom of will that they may render him voluntary service. In another writing, she goes on to say, 
that God has granted freedom of will to all and endowed men with capacity to appreciate his character and therefore with the ability to love him and to choose his service. So long as created beings worshiped God, they were in harmony throughout the universe. While love to God was supreme, love to others abounded. As there was no transgression of the law, which is a transcript of God's character, no note of discord jarred the celestial harmonies. However, this happy state of affairs was shattered when Lucifer began to doubt God's character and love. Lucifer accused gods of infringing on the freedom of his creation, forcing allegiance from the heavenly host. Lucifer tried to convince the angels that they should be given full freedom to do what they wanted to do and not have to follow the perfect rules that God, in his love, because God is love, established to govern his creation. As told in the story of redemption, which is one of my favorite books, Satan insinuated that true freedom and peace were found in independence. He claimed that angels needed no law, but should be left free to follow their own will, which would ever guide them right. That law was a restriction of their liberty, and that to abolish law was one great object of his standing as he did. The conditions of the angels, he thought, needed improvement. Unfortunately, one-third of the angels believed the lie. They discarded the fact, they disregarded the fact that their happiness, peace, and joy stemmed from their obedience to God's laws, which were based on the foundation of love. After the fall, Satan used the same line of argument on Eve, planting doubt when he asked the question, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then he went on to tell her that God knows that when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He was questioning the boundaries that God placed on the perfect innocent pair. He was telling Eve that she should have the ability or freedom as a perfect being to know all the things that God knew and to live life on her own terms. He put the thought in her head that God was withholding something good from her and that by living by his rules and restrictions, she was missing out. You see, Eve didn't believe what we're told in James 1.17, that every good and perfect gift is from above and that God does not withhold any good thing from his children. Satan still uses this lie today. You see, the truth of the matter is, despite Satan's lies to the contrary, serving God frees us. God does not coerce his creation to love and serve him. Instead, his love is one that is built on relationship. He showers us with his love and then asks us to love him in response. In heaven and in the Garden of Eden, God withheld no good thing from his loved creation. And one of the most wonderful, amazing gifts that God has given us is the freedom of choice, including the freedom to decide whether or not we're going to serve him. We see this gift demonstrated at creation, where he made us in his image. He created us as free, moral beings. We can see this in the story of the Israelites when they finally arrived in the promised land after years of bondage and wandering. 
After God freed the children of Israel from bondage, he still gave them the choice and the free will to decide whether or not they would serve him moving forward. Joshua set out the choice that was before his fellow Israelites and his response when he said, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We even see this gift of free will in the plan of redemption, where even salvation is dependent on us choosing him. He's demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And then it's up to us to accept the gift because his love is never forced. It's up to us in our free will to choose to believe, accept, and trust him in all that he has promised us. Fundamentally, our love for God is built on the freedom he gives us to choose whether or not we will reciprocate that love. He never forces love as a response to all of the goodness that he demonstrates to us because God never forces relationship. Instead, he tells us in Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now I want you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, of all created beings, standing at the door of your heart and of mine, asking us to invite him into a relationship with us. You can open your eyes now. You see, God has given us this overwhelming evidence that he is love. And yet, too often, God's knocks on our hearts go unanswered by his creation. Throughout human history, we see God looking for a relationship with us and us choosing to reject him. God is wanting to offer us freedom in him. And yet, we choose to live life in bondage. We believe the lie that submission is antithetical to freedom. But I want to spend the next couple minutes with you this afternoon and talk about three ways that we experience true freedom when we submit to God. We experience freedom from the bondage of sin. We experience freedom from the burden of sin. And we experience freedom from the penalty of sin. So it should be the heading that just says... Um, freedom from the bondage of sin. <laughs> so when we submit to Jesus, thank you, he frees us from the bondage and power of sin. God offers us true freedom in that he frees us from the bondage and power of sin that try to hold us captive. While the devil comes as a thief to kill and to steal and to destroy, Jesus came that we can have an abundant life. Ever since the fall, humanity has been in bondage. It's interesting that when we look at our scripture for today, it says that the Jews who had believed in Jesus seemed to take offense when Jesus offered them freedom by following him and his truth. Let's read verse 33 of our text again, where it says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? 
Even though Jesus in this passage was talking about freeing them from spiritual bondage, they missed the point and responded by talking about physical bondage, telling Jesus that as Abraham's seed, they were never slaves. They were never in bondage to anyone. However, just looking at the second book of the Bible alone contradicts the story, right? Did they forget that they had spent years as slaves in Egypt and then as wanderers in the desert? Throughout much of the Old Testament, there is a record of how God's chosen people were captive to the Babylonians, the Medes, and Persians, and then under the subjugation of the Roman Empire. Throughout the Old Testament, the loss of physical freedom was often tied to and the result of spiritual disobedience, like worshiping false gods. But time and time again, the one true God forgave his people and rescued them, offering them both physical and spiritual freedom. What is the spiritual bondage that many are experiencing today? Well, for some, it's bondage to money, success, pride, gluttony, greed, fear, jealousy, prejudice, anger, the list could go on. But whatever you are a slave to, the result is the same, a failure to experience the abundant life promised by following Christ. To those living in bondage, Jesus offers freedom. Jesus came to break the chains that hold us captive. He fulfilled the prophecy written about him which said, one more please, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus offers us freedom from the power of sin and instead offers us a renewed mind and a promise that there is no temptation that we are powerless against if we rely on his power. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is true. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way of escape. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ rescues us from the slavery of sin and offers us true freedom in this life and beyond. This is why Jesus could say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, he came to free us. We're no longer slaves to sin. Instead, we have the power of Christ to live a new life, a redeemed and transformed life. He is able to set us free from whatever we are in bondage to, whether, again, that's greed or vanity, pride, pornography, addiction, abusive behavior, gluttony, hate, selfishness, or any other sin under the sun. There's nothing too big for God to handle. It doesn't mean that we won't face temptation or challenges, but we know that he who is with us is greater than he who is against us and has equipped us to be more than conquerors. So how can God free us from the bondage of sin? If we confess and repent, he promises to break the bondage of sin and opens us up to experience his freedom. Jesus wants to free us from the bondage of the darkness we live in and to live in the light of his truth and love. If you're ever going to be free, truly free, the only way you can be is to step out of the darkness into the light of Christ. 
Jesus came to be the light of the world. He said, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And he went on to say, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's only by daily surrendering to him, by daily dying to ourselves, that we can experience the life transformation that Jesus promises. Jesus said in our scripture for today, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are made free through holding his teaching and following him. Jesus wants us to live a life free from the bondage and chains of sin. God also wants to free us from the burden of sin. As Paul told the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. As this text states, not only does Jesus promise to free us from the bondage of sin, but he also promises to free us from the burden of sin. What I mean by that is that Jesus frees us from the burden of fear and guilt that are the natural result of sin and replaces it with his peace and joy. Trusting in God frees us to head into the future with strength, peace, and joy. We can let go of the guilt of our past, our present concerns, and the burdens and fears about what the future may bring because we know who we belong to and who is in control of the past, present, and future. You see, from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, their perfect, peaceful existence was shattered. Instead of living in perfect harmony, guilt, shame, and fear entered the picture. Sin is separation from God, and when Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately felt the first effects of that separation when they realized they were naked. They no longer had the light of God that clothed them. They felt so much shame that they tried in their own vain attempt to cover themselves. When we make the decision, though, to follow God, he frees us from the guilt, fear, and shame, which are natural results of sin and our separation from him and gives us peace and joy instead. You see, the Bible tells us that there's no fear in love. In 1 John, we read that God is love. And that chapter goes on to say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Likewise, the Bible teaches us that where the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. As 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, thank you. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This freedom includes restoration with God. It brings us back into communion with him and transforms us into his character. God replaces fear that is a result of sin with peace, which is a result of being in communion with him, because he is the source of peace. As he says in John 14, 27, My peace I leave with you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The peace and joy that God promises us is one that makes no sense to those who aren't in relationship with him. It doesn't make sense to have peace when life's circumstances are throwing you storms and curveballs 
But Jesus is our example. And as you remember, he literally rested when it seemed as if a boat that he was on was going to capsize and sink. The, the disciples fretted even though they had the creator of the world in the boat with them. When we remember that God is with us, that he has promised to never leave or forsake us, then we can have peace regardless of any circumstance. God also gives us the gift of sharing that peace with those around us. We're called to be peacemakers. He gives us a spirit of peace and joy as we are transformed in his image. And this peace is just one of many aspects of the fruit of the spirit that God offers when we submit to him and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. Through accepting Jesus as Lord and submitting to the will of God, we are transformed into his image and we are given the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're told that when we accept him as our Savior, he will make all things new. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. As we spend time with God, we'll bear his image. We're called to be image bearers, reflections of his character. Paul tells us to be transformed as we renew our mind, and this is done through relationship with God. And Paul knows what he was talking about. He didn't just talk the talk, but he also walked the walk. He told the early believers about the peace that transcends understanding and will guard our hearts and minds. He said to rejoice in the Lord always, to be anxious for nothing. He said these things even though he was imprisoned and in chains. Only God could provide peace in these conditions. Paul's joy was not dependent on his circumstances, but on knowing the one who was in control of all. Paul, while in prison, had joy and peace instead of worry and concern and doubt. Clearly, this shows us that joy is something more than mere happiness. You know, happiness is circumstantial. We don't see happiness listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. But joy, joy is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope that only comes from trusting God, regardless of our circumstances. And this promise of joy that isn't based on present circumstances is good news. These days, looking at the headlines, we can believe that it's impossible to experience peace and joy. How can we have peace instead of fear in this world that we live in? How can we live free of worry in this world with so many troubles? It seems that more and more we hear of school shootings, police brutality, and wars, which show that there is an increasing disregard for the sanctity of human life. We hear of natural disasters, such as the recent earthquake in Turkey and Syria. And by the time that we begin processing one catastrophe, another has already struck. It seems as if the world is falling apart. There are some situations that I look at and I have no answer for them. But I do trust that God sees and he cares and he will make all things right in his time. We know that this world is not our home and we're not meant to feel comfortable here. But as Isaiah 26, 3 tells us, God will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him because we'll trust him 
we'll know that he is in control. We can live free of fear of the what-ifs because God is in control. He's in control of our finances. He's in control of our health. He's in control of this world. He's in control of all of our needs. And he told us that if he takes care of the sparrows, he will take care of us too. How freeing it is to not have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. In fact, we're commanded to give God our burdens and our worries. Jesus said, Come unto me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, there's a paradox here that when we take on his burden, we're able to find rest. When we submit to his authority as his servants, we find liberty and freedom. When we die to self, we find life everlasting in him. And when we give him our brokenness, he makes us whole. These are the gifts that God wants to give us if we will accept him and give ourselves to him. Ellen White states it beautifully when she says, he who walks in the way of God's commandments is walking in company with Christ, and, his, and in his love the heart is at rest. She also says, those who take Christ at his word and surrender their souls to his keeping, their lives to his ordering, will find peace and quietude. Nothing of this world can make them sad when Jesus makes them glad by his presence. In perfect acquiescence, there is perfect peace. Lastly, Jesus frees us from the ultimate penalty of sin, which is death or eternal separation from him. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we can live lives of peace, joy, and hope because we know that we have been freed from the power and penalty of sin and instead invited to live eternally with him. After the fall, Adam and Eve saw the results of their actions when God killed a lamb to clothe them. They saw the results of sin when they had to bury their son Abel, who was killed at the hand of Cain. Over the many years that they lived, they witnessed death over and over and over again, whether of the animals who no longer lived in peace and harmony with each other, or of their offspring whose bodies were no longer perfect, and who over time and separation from God began to disregard the sanctity of human life as we see today. Unfortunately, all of us who have lived long enough share at least one thing in common. We have all experienced the pain of the death of a loved one. For me, it happened two and a half years ago with the death of my father. How do we still have joy and hope when a loved one has died? Well, at least for our loved ones who died in Christ, we can have peace and joy knowing that the next voice that they will hear is God's, and when they awake, it will not be in the same dilapidated sad bodies that we currently have, but to perfection. Death is something that the vast majority of all of humanity will one day face. However, death is not the end for those of us who have chosen to believe in Jesus and accept the gift that he is offering. He has promised us a future with him if we accept him. 
He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Now let's be clear. We all deserve to die. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Romans 6.23 tells us, we're all sinners, and as sinners, our just reward is death. So it's only by the incomprehensible grace of God that we are given a chance at life instead of death. How amazing it is that some of us still choose death when God has offered us this priceless gift that cost him so much. Using the sacred gift of free will and free choice, we must choose to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit and obey what God calls us to do. Though God offers us blessings and life, we can choose cursing and death instead. No wonder that God advised the Israelites through Moses in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. When we accept Christ, he offers us freedom from death and the wages of sin. God has told us, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. God offers us the gift of life over death, but he leaves the choice to accept that gift up to us. This is not something we could ever earn. We can never atone for our own sins and our past mistakes. We can never make ourselves perfect. We can never work hard enough to earn salvation. Fortunately, all God asks of us is to choose him. He will do the rest. We are incapable of ever earning salvation. But as Ellen White states, and I'm going to paraphrase here to make it more applicable to you and me, she says, we, you and I, have become so degraded by sin and our nature so perverted by evil that it's impossible for us in and of ourselves to come into harmony with God because his nature is purity and goodness. But Christ, after having redeemed us, from the condemnation of the law could impart divine power to unite with our human effort. Once we have accepted freedom from the ultimate penalty of sin, it frees us to live boldly for God. We can face our fiery furnaces or lion's den experiences without fear because we know that death is not the end. Don't you want to experience this kind of freedom? God didn't make the choice complicated but he also will not force our decision. God gives us the freedom to choose our own path and face the consequences of our choices. God created human beings, not robots. We don't have to accept the freedom he offers us through Jesus Christ. He gives each person the free will to accept or reject the gift of salvation. We then have to decide whether we will accept the truth of the character of God, that he is love, or the lie that Satan has been trying to feed humanity for thousands of years. God gives us the choice to live within the boundaries he has established for us. They aren't there to deny us of something good, but to protect us and to allow us to live in freedom and fullness. Accepting the boundaries that God has given us frees us to live life to the fullest in his will.
There's a term, FOMO, and it stands for fear of missing out, that my family uses a lot. In fact, my husband says that my whole family suffers from it. You see, I have two brothers, one of them who was, was in here, he just had to step out with uh, my, my younger son. Um, I have two brothers, and if two of the three of us get together, then inevitably the left-out sibling will try to be there too, because we don't want to miss out on what the rest of the family is experiencing and enjoying together. Unfortunately, many of us suffer from this condition, um, this condition of not wanting to feel left out. Especially with the influence of social media, we're always made to feel like we're missing out or not experiencing life to the fullest like those around us. But we aren't meant to experience everything. Satan wants us to believe the lie that freedom means doing what we want to do. Many believe the lie that the more options that we have, the better, that living life fully means trying out all the things that life has to offer. But we know that much of what life has to offer leads to painful consequences. And we can look at the story of King Solomon as our example of this. God never wanted us to experience death, pain, or heartache. But this is the knowledge that we acquired when we ate the fruit. Adam and Eve did experience more by eating that fruit. But what they experienced was pain, guilt, shame, and death, not freedom. When God places boundaries around us and says, stay here, or this is outside of my perfect will for your life, those boundaries are an act of love. But how often do we praise him for the no? Do we have to know why God is placing restrictions in our way, or can we just trust that God knows what is best? God is offering us freedom from the bondage, burden, and penalty of sin, but we have to be willing to make the choice to submit to him. On a daily basis, the decision is before us. Will we choose to follow God or lean on our own understanding? God makes it clear. The best life is one that's devoted to honoring him. The Apostle Paul gives wise counsel when he told the early church, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is living the principles of heaven on earth, living subject to the perfect law of love that has always been the foundation of God's kingdom. True freedom can only be experienced by living in God's will. Jesus describes the freedom that he offers as a result of abiding in his truth. He told his followers that when we hold on to his teaching, we will learn the truth and the truth will set us free. Freedom is not a lack of restraint that allows one to fulfill any selfish desire, but genuine freedom takes place as we learn to follow divine truth. As we abide in Christ, we are released from the chains of the world and released to be all that God created us to be. Jesus offers us this freedom now if we're willing to submit to him. So what does choosing to submit to God look like? It means submitting to his plans instead of our own, submitting to God's wisdom and guidance and giving up our need to control, and instead just resting in his will. How will we decide to use this gift of free will that God has given? Will we use it to fully submit back to him or will we use it to reject him and the many gifts that he wants to bestow on us if we only ask? God wants to give us good gifts. 
He wants to give us a future. His plans and thoughts are higher and more beautiful than any we could imagine. He is able to do abundantly more than we can think. So how do we accept this freedom that Jesus is offering? By believing, accepting, and acting on that belief. My appeal today is that we accept the gift that God is offering us of true freedom from the bondage, the burden, and the penalty of sin. If this is your desire, please stand with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how amazing is your grace and your love for us. Thank you so much for loving us enough to give us the freedom to choose to accept or reject you. Lord, my prayer today is that each one of us uses this gift of free will to submit fully and completely to you so that we can experience life to the fullest. I ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.